All right, if we can start making our way back to our seats. All right, if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 2, verses 17. We're just going to be at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 tonight. Malachi 2, 17 through 3, 5. So starting verse 17, it says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for um, this time. God, we thank you for um, the blessings of being able to gather uh, this Lord's Day. God, we, as we often do, we pray um, for um, your Holy Spirit to go forth um, this Lord's Day all over our, our community. God, in, in every church, where your gospel was preached, um, God, we pray for um, the Spirit to um, to do His work, um, that He would go forth and and soften uh, the the stone of our hearts, God, that He would go forth and and till up the soil and prepare it for the seed of the gospel to be uh, planted, God, uh, that that seed uh, that was scattered abroad, God, that you would allow it to land and find good soil um, as your word is preached, um, that it would it would grow and take root um, and and grow up and bear fruit. Uh, God, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Uh, Father, we ask for that ministry of the spirit to work each week um, in our county. Um, we ask you for revival um, in our day. 
Uh, Father, we, we trust in your will. We trust in the way that you are working in, in history and, and in our community. And yet, God, we ask for the blessing to see um, a unique work of your spirit uh, in our community where, where people uh, turn back to you, um, where they learn of you and your saving goodness through Jesus Christ for the first time. Um, God, where you change hearts uh, and change people's lives. Father, we ask that you would do that within our congregation. We ask that you would do it during this time as we open your word. God, that you would use your word to speak to us um, and and form us in the likeness of Christ. God, show us, uh, shine a light on this text, shine a light on our hearts. Um, God, through the power of the spirit, um, let us understand it rightly, apply it rightly, um, God, and, and live in faithfulness according to it. We thank you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you've not been with us, we've been talking, we're going through the book of Malachi. And so we're in the season of, of the, the, the liturgical calendar of the church. We're in that season called Lent. It's a, it's a preparation season as we, as we lead up to um, the celebration of the resurrection. And so um, it's, a, it's a time of, of contrition, a time of repentance. It's a time where we look to our hearts, uh, look inward and, and um, acknowledge the places that we have fallen short. We allow God to, to speak to us in terms of the ways that we have sinned and the ways that we have missed the mark. And Malachi does that kind of in a specific way. We talked about already how Malachi is, is the, is the trend, the, the book leading out of the Old Testament, right? It is, it is the book that sort of closes out the Old Testament, um, and points forward to the New Testament, but it does it sort of in a structurally unique way that fits, um, with the Lenten season very well, because it breaks down into six disputations. And so what that means is that there are these little sections that you can break down throughout the book where essentially what happens is God says something. Uh, Most of the time it's making an accusation, um, but sometimes just making a statement. And the people of Israel come back and say, that's not true, God. How can that be? What what do you mean by that? And then God elaborates on, on what he's talking about. And so there's this little sort of back and forth in each of these passages. We saw it at the beginning of this one. But there's six of them, and so each week of Lent we are going through and talking about one of this one of these disputations, and then uh, with the close of the book of Malachi that looks forward to first the coming of John the Baptist and ultimately to the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, that's that's where we're going to end up in Easter. So that's a pretty good place to end up on Easter, I think, is is with the coming of Jesus Christ. That makes sense. So. Um, we're going to kind of look through. This is kind of, in, in some ways, one of the shorter ones that we'll deal with. Um, but, but we want to look at it and kind of get a feel for what's going on in this passage. Okay. And so, in each time, we've talked about different accusations um, that God is saying, "People of Israel, you are doing something, uh, and 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 there's an issue with that." Well, in this one, we start off the beginning, and it's an interesting phrase. It says, "You have wearied the Lord with your words." Okay, that's something. It's a that's a uh, that should be something that sort of chastises us up front, right? That God would be wearied by us. Okay, we talk all the time, and it's true. This is, doesn't contradict those things, but we talk about the fact that God is long suffering. He is patient with us, right? Um, he 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 is forgiving to the ways that we fall short, and yet, um, as God describes Himself in this passage, He says, "I am wearied by your words." I'm wearied by the way that you keep on saying these things. Well, what are you talking about, God? Um, how can you, how can, how can you be wearied? What, in what way have we wearied you with the things that we say? And so he tells us there in verse 17, he says, I am wearied because you keep on saying amongst yourselves, 
everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them or by saying or by asking, where is the God of justice? Okay, so what's going on there? Well, it's an accusation that has actually come up throughout the Bible. You find this accusation against God throughout the scriptures and really throughout the history of kind of philosophical thought about God um, and the existence of God in the world. And it basically boils down to this kind of thing that we call the problem of evil a little bit. Okay, Um, and and the general idea would be this. If God is there and if God cares then why does it so often seem that not only is evil in the world not punished, but evil even seems to prosper? If God cares and he's all-powerful, then why hasn't he done something about these situations? Jeremiah talks about it in, in, in his book. He says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, you take, uh, and you plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. Uh, you are near in their mouth and far from their heart. Okay. And so he talks about these people who are faking their, their following of God. They're obviously living in a, in a way that is not according to the will of God and the word of God. And yet they seem to prosper in everything that they do. And Jeremiah is confused by that, right? He says, I know you're righteous, God, but I've got kind of a, a bone to pick with you. Job, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, that's the whole book of Job in a lot of ways, right? That's, that's kind of one of the main things that happens in Job. Job 21 says this, why do the wicked live? Why do they reach old age, grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. No rod of God is upon, upon them. Their bulls breed without fail. Their cows calve and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? Okay, so again, they're saying, there are these people who blatantly defile God. They say, we're not worried about things of God. We're not interested in talking about God or living for God. And yet God, they seem to be blessed, right? They're having a pretty easy time and everything seems to go well for them. This, this idea, again, is, is not just found in scriptures. It's, it's, it's uh, one of those primarily kind of phys- philosophical objections to the existence of God. If God is all-powerful, and just, then why doesn't he stop evil? It would seem that either he can't, so he is an almighty, or he won't, so he isn't all good. That would be the suggestion, okay? But here's the thing. We should pause for just a second, because at one level at least, that whole idea is an excuse, It feels like it has a little bit of legitimacy in our hearts because it feels like we are putting God in a position of moral inferiority to us. We know what's right, God. We know what justice looks like. We know how the world should work and how evil should be treated. But God, you're dropping the ball on all of these things. 
I know the standard of morality better than God does. And I'm going to bring him to task for it. Ask him why he's not owning up to his responsibilities. Okay? So here's the thing. Paul's right there. Anytime. Okay? Anytime in your heart, if you are trying to gain the moral high ground on God, you should stop. Okay? If at any point there is anything in you that says, this is not right, this is not fair, you are not good, this is not just, something has gone amiss, not in God, but in your heart. Okay? That is not to say that there aren't difficult things that we suffer through. There is not to say that we don't sometimes question these things. But we have to start from a position that says, God is the author of goodness, right? He is the author of justice because that's who he is in his being. If we ever for a moment think that we somehow know those things better than God, then we have, then we have missed something. Now again, that doesn't negate, that doesn't negate honest lamentation. That doesn't negate honest questioning of why things are the way they are, right? That come from a deep desire within us to know God. That's something we see all through the scriptures too, right? We see places in the Bible where the people of God are crying out to God saying, how long, O Lord, right? These awful things are happening in our midst and we want you to do something about them, but you're not. And how long, like, how long do we have to wait before you, before you do these things? I don't think those things come from a, a voice of rebellion, right? They come from a voice of desperation. And so I'm, I'm not negating that, that reality. But again, anytime we feel like God isn't living up to our standards of something, then we should pause and remember our positions in this whole thing. Okay. Remember who God is. Remember who we are. All right. But here's something interesting. Despite the impertinence of that question, Right. Despite the impertinence of saying that God just lets evil go and seems to let those people thrive. Where is the God of justice? Despite that, God gives us an answer. Okay, he says, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me tell you where my justice is. But here's the thing. When my justice comes, you may not like it. You may find that it's not exactly what you were hoping it would be. Verse chapter three, verse one, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek, right? The Lord who you're asking for, the God of justice, the God who's going to come and judge evil, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, right? What's that saying? This idea that the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, the, 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 the law that you say you want to see played out, the justice that you want to see done, well, the messenger of that covenant is going to come. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. Okay, so two people are coming in that passage, it seems. First is the messenger um, who prepares the way for the Lord. And then the second person is the Lord himself is coming. All right, now it's, it's interesting when you get into kind of like looking at who this could be talking about. 
right? There's probably a sense in which this was fulfilled in some ways in the time it was written in the coming of Malachi. Malachi is the messenger of the Lord, right? In some ways, he is the one who is calling the people to, to repentance and to accountability to the covenant and stuff like that. But obviously as, as people who have seen the end of the book, we know that there's, there's, there's a larger fulfillment coming that that first messenger that comes to prepare the way is John the Baptist. We're going to see him alluded to again at the end of the book. And the Lord who is coming himself is, is Jesus Christ. But he says this. He says, look at verse 2. He says that the, the messenger is going to come. The Lord is going to come. But then he says this. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. When he asks who can endure that day, he is saying that the coming of justice and the coming of the judge, the Lord himself, is not going to necessarily be pleasant for anybody at a level. The refiner, right, he, he gives these two illustrations, the refiner's fire, the fuller's soap. The refiner, what does a refiner do? He removes the dross from precious metals, but how does he do that? He does that in a crucible. Right. There is a fire um, and pressure and heat. And through that process, the metal is melted and the impurities are brought out of it and, 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 and pulled away. The dross is skimmed off the top. But but that is a. And, and, I mean, it's, it's weird to say that it's a violent process. Right. The fuller. That's not a word that we use a whole lot of anymore. But a fuller is the person who works wool or some other fabric. Um, and they work it after they've turned it into yarn and then maybe even into to fabric. They work the wool to get it to where it will take a dye. Okay. But here's the way they work it. You know what they do? One, they apply pretty heavy detergents to it, right? In this culture, you're, you're talking about lye, uh, soap and things like that. They're pretty heavy. You know what else they do? They beat it, right? So you take these long pieces of fabric and you, and you just hit them across a rock or something like that. There are these cool ceremonies I know in Celtic culture where ladies will get around a table and they'll have this long piece of fabric and they have this process where they sing songs and they take the fabric and they just pick it up and they beat it against the table, right? But the point is, is that you are, you are beating the, the oils and the wax that is inherent in the wool. You're breaking that stuff up so that it can absorb the dye. But again, that process is sort of a, a violent process. It's a difficult process. Okay. Both of them are cleansing, but both symbolize stress or crisis. So what's he getting at? Well, the, the reality is this. We want God to judge sin and wickedness. Okay, When we see sin and wickedness out there in the world, we want God to come and judge. We want him to do something about it. We don't like seeing that in our communities. We don't like seeing that in our world. We want him to, to, to be, um, we want evil to be prosecuted. Right? At least we do right up until he comes for our evil. We want God to judge sin until he comes to our sin. At which point we say, now I want mercy. Right? Now I want forbearance. And that's the point that I think is being made in this passage. We are the evil ones. Okay? The Israelites are saying, come and judge the evil that we see all around us, or at least some of these people are. And, and God said, and then they, we say, why are you not judging it? Are you not a God of justice? And he says, I am a God of justice and I'm coming. 
Okay, my messenger is coming before me and the Lord himself is coming to judge these things. But recognize you're part of it. Okay, you are amongst the people who are living in sinful ways. And if I bring my judgment, I'm going to bring it in fairness. I'm not going to show favoritism. His justice is dealt out to everyone. And in fact, what we see in this passage is that the justice begins with the people of God which is probably not what they were expecting, right? When they say they want justice, what they really are saying is, we want all those bad people out there judged. And God says, oh, I'll come and judge, and I'm going to, but I'm starting with you. I'm starting with the household of God. I'm starting with the people of God. While the Israelites are looking out, God's beginning with his own people. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And who's he going to purify first? Who does it start with? And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Okay? So this idea that that judgment, you could say, begins in the household of God, pops up in different ways all through the scriptures. Okay? At micro levels, on the individual level, all the way up to the corporate level. Think about the fact that Peter talks about in, in, in the letter that we read from this morning or for this evening, um, for it is, uh, for it is time for judgment to begin in the house of the, uh, in the house of God. Paul in Corinthians talks about the idea that it is not our place to judge outsiders. Our place is to judge those inside the church, right? God will handle the people on the outside of the church. We should be about the business of, of our own household. Okay, which just for the record, if you haven't noticed, is the opposite of what the church does on a daily basis. Right. The the, typically what we do is we say, well, we're going to look past all the stuff that we do. But, man, we are going to go after the culture. Now, I'm not saying there's not a ton of garbage out in the culture that that is wrong. But the point is, is that God's saying you should probably deal with your own stuff first. We're all the way down to the individual level where Jesus is talking about removing the log from your own eye before you try to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. God says, you want to do something about sin? Let's start with your sin. And again, notice two things in that that verse 3 that we just read. One, it begins with the leaders. Okay? So just for the record, me standing up here, when God says we're going to do, do something about sin, he says we're going to do something about y'all's sin, but first we're going to start with Ash. Okay? We're going to get his sin dealt with. If there's something that needs to be laid bare, I'm going to deal with him first. The Levites are the ones who are, are who are in charge of the temple and, and, and making the sacrifices to God and things like that. They're going to be dealt with first, which makes sense. We already talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? Leadership bears with it a particular responsibility, a greater responsibility to follow God faithfully. But here's the interesting thing, too, I think. Also notice that, as we've mentioned before in previous passages in Malachi, this judgment is not to condemnation. This judgment is to purification. All the illustrations he uses are not destructive processes, you don't refine metal to destroy it. You don't, the fuller doesn't use soap on wool to destroy the wool. He does it to refine it, to purify it, to make it into the thing that it was supposed to be. That it'll be most used in, in, in a proper way. 
all right? Not to destroy, but to make better. Suffering and, and, and the consequence of, of, of our sin in terms of, of judgment. And, and this is what I want you to hear. I, I use that word judgment in a certain way. I don't want you to hear, and we've talked about this already again. I don't want you to hear condemnation when I say the word judgment. Okay. Because sometimes we say the word judgment and we mean, man, God, we don't have anything to do with judgment anymore. Uh, God has, uh, we're, we're free in Christ, right? Our sin has been judged in Christ. We're not judged anymore. And, and what I want you to understand is I don't think that's exactly right. And that's not the way I'm using the word. God continues to judge our sin. Anytime we sin, God has a judgment on it. And he says, that's wrong or that's right or whatever. Okay. God continues to judge us. The difference is, is that we are no longer condemned. For, uh, for the lost person, their sin leads to condemnation, which means they are cut off from, from, from God or whatever. We are never condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 tells us. Okay? So when I say judgment, don't misunderstand what I mean by that. But this judgment that, that the Levites are receiving, that the leadership is receiving, and then the people of God are receiving, is a judgment to purification. God wants you to get rid of that junk in your life that is hindering you in relationship to him and in service to your community in love for your family and all these things. And so it says after the Levites have been refined, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, the people will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. Okay. The picture again there is that as the leaders begin to lead rightly, the people begin to follow right. And the people of God are purified as a whole. God's desire is that we would get our own house in order first. Now, again, we have an interesting culture, right? We have a culture that is continually trying to press in on us, okay? It's trying to affect us. And so there's always going to be a certain level in which we are pushing back against that culture and saying, hey, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. We don't believe in this and this is and whatever. There's always going to be that process. But instead of going to war against those outside, we need to we need to take care of our own house. Okay. And here's a cool thing, I think. All right. Because here's the reality. We've talked about it over and over again. There's been a lot of stuff over the last few years of fallen Christian leaders out there, right? Over and over again, we find out that some respected, hallowed Christian leader has fallen into sexual sin. He's been living a double life. He's been embezzling stuff. Um, celebrity after celebrity in the Christian world has, has deconstructed their faith, right? And walked away from Christ and, 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 and left the faith. Okay. And in general, I think most of the Christian world is looking at the, this and saying, what are we going to do? Christianity is falling apart right in front of our eyes. It's, it's just disintegrating, man. This leadership's collapsing and people are walking away. It's, it's just disintegrating right in front of our eyes. Okay. And here's what I want to suggest to you. Maybe it's the opposite. I don't know that. Okay. It could be disintegrating, right? This could be the end of it. God could say, you know what? America, you messed up too bad. And I'm going to move, I'm going to move on to someplace else the way I have moved in different places all over the world. That could be happening, but maybe not. Maybe what's happening is the process that we're seeing take place here. God is going to the Levites of our nation and he is starting there in terms of judgment and a refining fire. And so he's saying there's a whole lot of junk that has been hidden under the surface in the Christian world for a long time. 
And God says, I can't do anything with you people while it is like that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start bringing that dross to the surface. And it's going to be hard. There's going to be heat. And there's going to be conflict. And there's going to be beating stuff on the ground, right? And you're going to look at it and go, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Like it feels like everything is bad right now. But maybe the case is, is that God has said, I am doing this to bring back proper worship, right? To refine and get rid of that dross that is in the leadership so that the people can again worship faithfully and something really cool could break out. Again, I don't know. The way we'll figure that out is, is uh, um, Martin Luther had a phrase when anytime somebody would ask him, why did this thing happen? He would say, well, we will see why this is the will of God, right? Bad thing happens. What's going on, Martin Luther? Well, we'll see why this is the will of God. He couldn't tell you what was going on in the moment, but he said, one day we'll be able to look back and say, yeah, that's what God was doing, okay? And so that's probably the case now. But what I pray is that that is exactly what God is doing. God is not bringing condemnation on the church of America, or the West, or however you want to talk about it, but he is beginning the process of a refining fire that will purify the church for maybe um, uh, an, an even greater challenge that is coming down the road. But he says, once I've dealt with the people's sins within my people, I will address the sin that you seem to be worried about, church, Israel, the people, the sin that's out there that you want something done about, then once you have had your sin dealt with, then I will come and deal with their sin. Verse 5, then I will draw near. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be swift. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. That means what you think it means. Against the adulterers. Against those who swear falsely against those who oppress their hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord. Now, here's the thing. these, these This list of sins that he has, um, I don't know about you, but when I read it, like when you start out, you're like sorcerers. Yeah, people who are in league with the devil, doing kind of weird witchcrafty kind of stuff. Yeah, man, judge those people. And we need some more of that, Right. But the further you go through the list, like it gets a little, it doesn't feel like those sins are as distant. And I think, again, that's his point, is he's saying, man, you want me to come in judgment. But remember, the things that I will be judging are not just the big, ugly sins that are out there that you know are sins. It'll be the subtle ways that you sin, the way you treat your hired workers, the way that you ignore the needy in your community. Um, the way that you turn your gaze away from the sojourner who is walking among you, those are going to be things that I judge too. And all of a sudden, those things seem a lot closer to home for us. Peter warns, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, talking about this idea of suffering purifying us. But then he goes on to say, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay, he's saying there's going to be a trying judgment that it, that comes. But man, let's not make it, let's not make it because you're doing the same things that the world is doing. Because if we are living in the same patterns as the world, even if we're not sorcerers, 
But if we are oppressing those who are employed by us or something, then, then God will have a word for us as well. Again, I think there's similarities between that day and our day. We live in a time of wide-scale godlessness out there, right? We look at the world around us and we go, man, there's just bizarre, weird sinfulness that pervades all kinds of areas. Like if you would ask, again, and I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to pick on something, right? But if you had said 10 years ago that we would get to a point where a huge number of people in our country thought it was a good idea for drag queens to lead story hours at public libraries, I would have said, what? What? That doesn't even make any sense. That's the most weird. How could, what are you talking about? And yet we're there, right? There is all kinds of craziness out there, sinfulness of all kinds, There's corruption on the part of our leaders, hypocrisy on the part of our leaders, failure and apathy on the part of of the people. And here's the deal, man. We we are expectant. We are asking God, where are you at? When are you going to do something about this? And just like the people of Israel in this time, they had been waiting long enough that they had started to say, your tardiness, God, not your actual tardiness, but the way we perceive it, your tardiness is leading to our disillusionment in you. We're starting to wonder if you're ever going to do anything. In fact, some of us are starting to wonder if you're even there because of the stuff we see around us. But the message for Israel is the same message that he would have for us in a moment like that. The Lord tarries. You don't use that lot word anymore, right? That means he holds off, right? The Lord tarries, but not forever. The Lord is coming. The God who is just and who is judge is going to come. And it will begin in the leader's hearts and it will spread to the people of God's hearts. And then that judgment will go to the lost and dying world around us. We pray that as it hits us as as followers of Jesus Christ, that it will be a refining fire, right? That even as God judges our sin and calls us to account for the ways that we are not following Christ, that it would be a refining fire, right? That we would put away those things and start living in a different way and honoring God in a different way. But he's not going to stay gone forever, okay? He is coming, and he will deal with our hearts when he comes. So what I want to do is we'll go to the Lord in a time of prayer. And again, this is not the kind of thing that you fix in a in a in a evening, okay? But it is something to say that um, perhaps we are living in an era. You know, we mentioned last week about the sexual revolution and all the things that we see around us. And we talk about that idea that man, many of the roots of the sexual revolution didn't happen out there. They happened within the church, right? They happened within certain things and certain attitudes of, of individualism and self-choice and, and me wanting what's best for me and not thinking about family and community and things like that. The selfishness, the individualism. And while those things in and of themselves may not have been sinful, they started to point us in a direction that led us in into worse and worse things. I think God is saying, church in America, 
It is time to get your house in order. People of God, it is time to get your hearts in order. It is time for the people of God to repent of their sin and turn back to God uh, and allow him to refine us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, pray that you would, again, in this Lenten season, um, that this would be your prayer as we go throughout the, the, the coming weeks um, leading up to um, the celebration of the resurrection. I hope it's the case that it continues to be your prayer even after that, right? That this is the, that this is the desire of our hearts that we would turn from sin and live for Christ each and every day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we live in a disposable world. We live in a world where when something gets old or broken or stained or torn, God, that we discard it. Uh, We get rid of it and find something new to replace it. Father, we are so grateful that you are not a God who discards your people in their brokenness. God, that you, as you look and see the dross, as you see the stain, God, it is not your desire to destroy that person, to throw them away, to get rid of of them. God, it is your desire that they would be refined. God, that they would be cleansed, that they would be, um, that all the things that, that hinder and harm uh, would be removed, um, and that that person would be made new and whole and pure in your sight. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of, of that difficult refining process, um, God, that your great love for us is seen in the fact that you have chosen us and that you have saved us in Jesus Christ. God, we, we desire to be sanctified. We desire to be set apart for your use. God, I want to do that the easiest way possible. And yet, I say with trepidation, God, if there are things in my heart that must be brought out with suffering, that, God, you would do that. If there are places in my heart and life that need to be refined through the crucible of fire, through the fuller's bleach, then so be it. But God, in in your mercy, I ask that you would teach me gently. God, that we would hear your word and not... And turn from our sin willingly and voluntarily. 
God exuberantly, fleeing our sin because we know that it will cost us our lives. God, help us to do that. God, we want to be purified. So purify us as you see fit. God, in your love, in your mercy. God, because we are yours and you have chosen us. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's that sing the closest song?
see you guys this this uh, Lord's Day. Um, let me let me make you aware of a couple things. So number one, um, Easter Sunday coming up. Um, so some of you are have been here for a little while, and so you know our typical procedure. So what we do, we, we have our service every Sunday at 5 p.m., but Easter is the one Sunday a year where we have a morning service, okay? We were a little bit trying to figure out what we were going to do about that um, this year, but we are going to also have um, our service um, Easter morning. So we will have it here at Vienna. They're closed that day. And so we'll have um, our run of the place like normal, but we'll have a morning and AM service, not positive what time it is yet. So we'll tell you that next week, but you can just sort of go ahead and start planning in your head that we will have an AM service um, on, on Easter Sunday. Uh, and then the second thing is, is we talked about it a good bit in our um, uh, business meeting um, earlier this evening. Um, we're going to try to, we've, we've, we've been really lax in, in a lot of the things that with our uh, children's ministry stuff and, and, and childcare during service and stuff. We kind of, we got lax on it during COVID because there was less going on. And then now the COVID's over. We're, we're, we're just now getting back to it. Um, uh, Katie, um, who works with our, our children is going to be implementing a lot of new kind of things. And so what I would encourage you to do is if you, especially if you've got little kids is, is, um, um, get on board with those things, right? Um, she's going to, she's going to be probably each week, there's going to be something new. Okay. And so for the next few weeks, there's going to be a little bit of a challenging process probably for saying, okay, there's a new procedure. There's a new protocol that we're trying to do to make this run smoother and be safer and organized and everything. So just be prepared for that. Like you may come in next week and there'll be a new little piece and then you'll come in the next week and there'll be another new little piece. And so to just sort of prepare yourself for that, um, so that we can get on board with that and get everything running smoothly. Um, and, and I think that'll be a benefit over there because, man, she, she was telling us tonight, man, there's some nights where, what a blessing, we've got 30 kids over there, okay? Well, that's a small place for 30 kids. So we've got to be super um, organized um, to, to have that run smoothly, okay? So that's just kind of a little heads up. Um, good to see you. I uh, hope uh, you'll be able to join us next week as we continue in Malachi. Here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.